This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. So you'll pick me up tonight at 745? Oh, well, no, I got a few things to, to take care of first, but what, why don't we make it quarter to eight? <laughs> Stop it. Okay, 745. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how fat's your wallet? Yeah, me too. But don't worry about it, because we're going to help you fill it full of cash, because today we welcome the man who wrote the New York Times bestseller, I will teach you to be rich, Ramit Sethi. Wonder why Joe didn't come to me about being rich? Don't worry, he did. I taught him everything he knows. Plus, in our headline segment, gold is through the roof lately. Should you buy some? We'll cover one piece from investment news that actually makes the case against gold. Later, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Mandy, who wants to know if she should cash in some of her investments so that she can buy a home. We'll give her our two cents and still have time for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who put the spice in pumpkin spice. What does that even mean? (laughs) Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-J. Well, I did, but you refused. I, I just, I didn't think that the uh, whole pumpkin spice thing, that you'd go that far. You wouldn't even put the spice in pumpkin spice. Yeah, I'm not a PSL guy. Sorry. It's a, it is. Hashtag PSL. More for me. Hashtag more for me. Oops. Welcome to Monday on the hashtag Stacky Benjamin Show. <laughs> I am hashtag Joe Salcihai. Why that be annoying in a hurry, wouldn't it? Oh boy. Hashtag, hashtag. Here like it goes. from Saturday Night Live. Show hasn't Was even. Saturday Night Live or Tonight Show? I can't remember. I don't know. But the show's already 
just begun and it's already going downhill. Welcome to Stack of Benjamins. I am Joe Salci. I have Joe Money on Twitter, across the card table from me and uh, ready to be equally as annoying as I've been so far. It's my good friend, OG. I don't think that's possible, but I'll do my best. Well, you know, you step up, man. Step up. It's playoff time, baseball. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you're right. It's totally playoffs. Uh, Ramit Sadie coming down to the basement. That's a guy we should have had on sooner. I will say that for all of you, those of you that want to remeet sooner, I agree, but we got him here now. Better late than never, as mom says, mm-hmm. OG. That's right. That's right. Yes. And I'm sure that he didn't come down sooner because he couldn't find his luggage. This episode of Stack of Benjamins brought to you by Away. By the way, see how I did that? Away makes first class luggage at coach prices that allows remeet and you to charge your phone on the go. For $20 off a suitcase, I wonder if Ramit knows we're using him (laughs) in our ad spots. Go to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20, and you're going to then use the promo code SB20, and you'll get that 20 bucks off. And I am all about the classes here, man. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Skillshare's offering Stacking Benjamins listeners two months, two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, all you got to do is go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. Guess what? We just got you free months of Skillshare, got you 20 bucks off luggage, but you don't need to go anywhere because we're with you already. And we got Ramit coming down to the basement. We've got a couple of, uh, we got a couple of mediocre headlines. Actually, we got a mediocre show for you today, OG. <laughs> As always. That one, by the way, is uh, for you, Chris. So just so you know, Chris, Chris was chiding me, OG, about the fact that I say we have a great show coming up every show, but that's because we do. They're pretty much always good, but not today. It's not today. Pretty mediocre. Today's about a six. We'll let you decide, but let's get started then. So you can decide. Here we go. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Oh, I love this. Love this. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News. This is written by Jeff Benjamin. The case against gold. Now, in it's, it's, it's like there needed to be a big article about it, but all right. <laughs> well, in everybody's defense, I haven't really heard a lot about gold this time around. Have you? Have you heard a lot of people saying you got to get into gold lately? No, I did just see an article yesterday about how somebody predicts that the uh, gold market's going to rally to 73 billion or whatever, I don't know, due to the the pending recession. So get your gold now. Mr. Benjamin writes, with the price of gold up nearly 18% since the start of the year, some market watchers are calling it a crowded trade. That's just one of the reasons some financial advisors give for steering clear of the precious metal at this point in the market cycle. At this point? (laughs) (laughs) At, At any point? Uh, quote, gold is a little overbought and everybody's asking about it. And if there's a consensus out there, it's best to bet the other way, said Dennis Nolte, vice president of Seacoast Investment Services. You just don't want to buy something when everybody's eyes are on it, he said. I actually don't think, do you think that you buy it whether or not other people's eyes are on it? Like, am I going and buying an index fund because my neighbor owns it? If everybody jumped off a bridge, would you go jump off a bridge? This is trading versus investing. So if you're trading, I think you do have to pay attention to momentum and where, you know, where's the crowded trade or where can I, you know, what's everybody else doing? I'm going to zig when they zag, you know, that sort of thing. But if you're investing, I don't really think that. 
No, and let's add some more uh, fuel to this fire. Listen to this. We use bonds to temper down volatility, not gold, said Tim Hullsworth, president of AHP Financial Services. I don't speculate, so I don't buy gold, Mr. Hullsworth said. I'd only be interested in gold if I thought the markets were going to crash, and that's not the case. Even then, like if I really walk through a market completely crashing, does gold really matter? Well, no, it doesn't. I mean, if you're looking at it from the perspective of trading, and there's plenty of people who do, then trading commodities or trading a position in gold or trading a stock or even trading an ETF or whatever, you know, you're really concerned with, you know, the status of the market. You're really concerned with what that price looks like relative to recent pricing and that sort of thing. And the recession idea uh, starts to matter. If you are investing for the next 20 years before you retire and then subsequently 40 years after you retire and you've got a 60 year time horizon, whether the recession's here, there, or never again, it, none of that matters. If you accept the thesis that you can't time the market, and if you accept that, then you recognize that you just have to have your money invested and be done with it. So none of this makes sense to me because everybody I talk with has long-term goal-based investing plans, not short-term trading strategies. You know, it's funny. When I was a financial planner, we would use gold in a very small amount, but not even gold itself, OG. We would use a a natural resources fund or precious metals fund, which had a gold component, but also had other metals involved and other natural resources involved. That's why they called natural resources fund, Mm -hmm. by the way. You're welcome. I brought that to the table. Bam, laid that on you. And I did find when you do backtesting that that could without a significant downside to overall returns could mellow out the ride could make it so that the ride was a little less bumpy. Have you found the same? Well, sure. You know, commodities or non-correlated assets of any kind against a different type of portfolio is going to have an impact to the volatility of that. In theory, some things, I said this before, zig when other things zag. The problem that I have with something like gold is that over time, historically, it doesn't actually produce anything. It doesn't produce income. It doesn't produce, it's a flat product. It's, there, there's nothing. And I'm trying not to use the word commodity, but it, I mean, it's just a, it's like no different than a block of wood or something. It's just a, it's just a thing. So I would be much more interested, and I think this is where you're going with it as it relates to, you know, a natural resources fund, for example. And even in there, a lot of times they're not buying the natural resource. They're buying the producers of those natural resources. You're buying a company that mines for gold, which guess what? They're a company. They make money sometimes, you know, and they pay dividends and they reinvest their profits to make more money and so on and so forth. So you're not even buying gold. Then you're buying a gold producer or you're buying an oil manufacturing company or something like that. It's very difficult to justify my mind anyways, when you look over the long-term track record of, gold in particular, since that we're talking about owning it for any, any reason at all, other than, you know, wear it on a ring or something. Gold gained 12.6% in 2017, lost 278 in 2013, gained nearly 28% both 2009, 2010, and spiked 31.6 in the run up to the recession in 2007. 
Uh, some people think gold is a secure thing, and they usually want to turn to it in inflationary and recessionary periods, Mr. Dorman said. But people have been calling for recession since that last recession. And if you have no idea what the market's going to do and you can't value commodities like gold, how will you know when to invest in them? I think that's pretty wise words. And people that think the gold is at all stable, it's kind of why I wanted to read those returns, OG. I mean, people that worry about the stability of the stock market, or the volatility, rather, of the stock market, look at gold as a safe haven. Gold eight times more up and down than the stock market has. Yeah. So you're not even accomplishing the thing that you think you're accomplishing. Right. right. Our second headline was suggested by our friend Sarah in Maine. She specifically wanted me to talk to you about this, OG. U.S. slowdown spurs concern economy is near stalling. This is written by Reed Picker over at Bloomberg. The U.S. economy's growth rate is losing speed, prompting questions over how slow it can go and still avoid crashing into a recession. Have you seen this piece? I have not. Whereas expansion below 2% used to almost guarantee the economy would subsequently contract, some economists now reckon the U.S. can wobble around 1% to 1.5% without falling over. The decline in the economy's so-called stall speed is a relief... (laughs) It's a relief after data released Tuesday Tuesday signaled the weakest manufacturing sector in a decade. Still, he's the Federal Reserve under pressure to cut interest rates and President Trump facing challenges heading into next year's election. Whether the longest expansion in history remains intact may ultimately depend on whether consumers are able to maintain spending enough to offset the slump in manufacturing amid the U.S.-China trade war. Quote, Suddenly, the idea of stall speed is much more important today than it's been for most of the expansion, said Stephen Gallagher, chief U.S. economist at Societe Generale S.A. The economy's running on one engine, and that's the consumer. At Consumers Bank AG, currency strategist Ulrich Luckman told clients in a report on Wednesday that the fact that stall speed's becoming an issue of common interest may undermine demand for U.S. assets. This just makes me love Sarah so much. Taking a page from aviation, in which the stall speed is the slowest a plane can fly while still maintaining a level flight, the economic equivalent is the point at which growth is no longer self-sustaining. What do you think? Do you think we're at stall speed? Do you think it's time to make a landing of this year, plane OG? Well, I, I uh, think there's a lot smarter people than me out there that have an idea of what the uh, economy is doing in different areas. I'll just kind of hang my hat on the other thing that we talked about before. Whether it is or it's not, shouldn't matter as it relates to long-term investing plans. And if you're a trader, I bet it does matter. But if you're thinking about your financial independence, if you're 40 years old and you're thinking, I'd like to be done with this racket in 15 to 20 years, what happens over the next 6 to 12 months is of very little concern to you. Not only do you have 15 or 20 years before you need the first year's money, but you also then have another 30 or 40 years thereafter. So guess what? You'll probably get through a handful of other recessions. I will say, do you know how to break a stall? So when the, when your airplane does stall, how do you fix it? So when the economy does stall, how do you fix it? Dive. That's right. You have to get airspeed. You're welcome. Dive is not really preferred language, but... <laughs> they, don't, they don't go for that one in aviation. Soar and plunge. Those are two. Those are the two buttons on the airplane. What would you like to do today, kids? Uh, let's go ahead and uh, 
Let's uh, let's soar today, Dad. Okay. But you're saying that if it's stalling, if the economy is stalling, then a dive in the stock market might be a healthy thing. Yeah. How about that? Weird. It could be. You want to you play the aviation analogy game? I'll be here all week. What if all of the instruments on your instrument panel are blinking? Like they, they might be more and more. We're seeing this data come out where there's more instruments blinking that mm-hmm. a uh, stall might be coming. Well, you should be flying visually anyway, so you won't need to use your <laughs> instruments and <laughs> land as soon as practical. Sarah is so brilliant. We had like 10 other uh, headlines we could have done. Oh, but that one's great. Nice job, like Sarah. That's pretty good. I think the, well the done. Uh, I think the biggest lesson is if you want to stir the pot, uh, talk to OG about in aviation terms about the economy. And then I think another thing to remember is that while you can't fly a plane at Skillshare OG, Skillshare is a place to go for a ton of different courses. I've taken lots of courses at Skillshare and so many of them have been phenomenal. I've run down the runway with a, with a ton of the, with a ton of different taxi down the runway, taxi down the run. No, no, no further. I guess I going you taxi faster. down the taxiway. I don't know. Yes. Because much like a flight club, Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a long-time passion project, you're challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has a class for you. We're about to use it with our producers, OG, on uh, communication. We've had some communication issues lately in the basement. And uh, a Skillshare. We prefer for them to speak French. Okay, and they're they're annoyingly not fluent in it yet, so we definitely want that to happen. And it's also interesting that whenever uh, Gertrude is looking into social media fixes, she turns to Skillshare for some just-in-time learning. Tim Ferriss talks about the best time to learn something is when you know you're going to use it, and I wholeheartedly agree with my good friend Tim that uh, it's always best to have just-in-time learning so that you're able to learn it, deploy it right away, and then it sticks. If you just take a course and you don't deploy the knowledge, probably going to be taking a course again later. That's why I like the fact that with Skillshare, you can take as many classes as you want, whether they're on financial planning, on operating your side hustle. Uh, I've taken photography courses, so many different topics and teachers to choose from all at Skillshare. Join the millions of students who are already learning on Skillshare today with this offer just for stackers. Get this. You're going to get two months of Skillshare for free, two months, unlimited access to thousands of Skillshare classes for free to sign up. Go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. That's Skillshare.com forward slash SB. And you can jump on your first two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash SB. Did I say that's Skillshare.com slash SB? Once or maybe twice. I think I might have, maybe even three times. That's another lesson though, Skillshare. But then our other big lesson, gold, not so much, man. Not so much. Ramit Sadie upstairs talking to mom 
Ramit has a brand new printing of his classic. When you call this book a classic, I think it's been read by so many people that it is a classic. We're going to talk to him about his great book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, which is being reprinted and updated as we speak. Actually, it's already been reprinted and updated, and uh, we have him here to talk about it. I'm very interested in how this book became a cultural phenomenon. Can't wait to talk to Ramit. If you don't know anything about Ramit, all you have to know is that when Ramit was a student at Stanford, do you know the story? I don't think so. So Ramit's a student at Stanford in uh, technology and psychology, and the only way he could afford college was to pay his own way. So he built, instead of just applying for a few scholarships, Ramit built a system so that he could very quickly apply for scholarships, and he applied for over 60 different scholarships, and that paid off, and he earned enough money to attend Stanford. But when he got his first scholarship check, guess what he did? Partey. Stuck it in the stock market and lost half of it on speculative stocks. Thought he would make it big. That, by the way, is a lot of, there's so many lessons Ramit has learned that he shares so that you don't have to make the mistakes that he did. Of course, I'll Teach You to Be Rich is a New York Times bestseller. He's been, pro. where hasn't he been profiled? A six-page Fortune article. He's been pictured next to Warren Buffett and Forbes magazine. Uh, been featured on a long list of media. Let's go through a few of them. Wall Street Journal, ABC News, NPR, Fox Business, PBS, CNBC. And now, for the first time ever, coming down to the basement, let's say hello to our new friend, Ramit Sadie. And coming down to the basement, it's about time we got him here. Ramit Sadie, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me down here. I am so happy that you're here. I can't believe it. Can you believe how long it's been since your book first came out? No, I was uh, but a young man when the first edition came out. And 10 years later, the second edition coming out is very special to me. Why did you write it in the first place? I've been writing my blog, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, for three, four, five years. I had been testing all these different systems and automation, and I finally had it. I cracked the code. I could help a mother of three living in the Midwest. I was also helping a young Google employee manage their money. And I kept getting the same three to five questions. I have $5,000 in my checking account. What should I do with it? Or I don't have enough money at the end of the month. What should I do with that? These are the same questions over and over. Honestly, I just wanted to write something that I could hand it to him and be like, read this, and it will answer your question and the 10 other questions you should be asking. So it was a way to save yourself some time is what you're saying. Oh, I was going insane. I needed to <laughs> regain my sanity. So I was like, take this book, please, and please follow it. What's the most common response you've had to, I will teach you to be rich? Well, I mean, let's get real. The name, first of all, sounds like a huge scam. We all know it. It's the elephant in the room. Let's just call it out. And, you know, I think that in retrospect, I chose that name as a college kid Uh, I was sober when I chose the name, (laughs) but I'm not sure I would choose the name again, but I will say this. I think that people want to talk about money in a way that is not somebody berating them for spending money on lattes. And it's not somebody telling them all the things that they can't do with their money. And when you hear the name, I will teach you to be rich. Yes, it has some negative connotations. 
But I also think that it kind of attracts the kind of person that I want, a person that wants to use money that's probably a little irreverent, maybe you have a sense of humor, and that you're going to resonate with the way I'm talking right now. You know, I definitely would not want to write a book called Financial Literacy 101. I just, it's not my thing. It's not how I talk. And I just don't want the kind of people that would be attracted to that. You've talked a fair amount, by the way, in, I noticed uh, the last few months about the marketing around the fact that there's a new edition of the book. out. You've talked a lot about lattes. Do you think that David Bach beats people up about lattes or is it all the discussion after David Bach that beats people up about lattes? I think that this is not about David Bach. I know David Bach and I really like David. We've actually hosted an event together. He's a great guy. He's helped a lot of people. The larger point is the type of messaging that the financial industry gives to ordinary Americans. And what do they do? You wake up in the morning and you're told, don't do this. Don't buy jeans, don't go on vacation, don't spend money on a nanny or don't spend money on premium diapers or definitely don't go out to eat. And maybe if you save for the next 78 years and you compound that $3 a day, maybe just maybe you can afford to go to Chili's and get dessert. What the hell kind of life is that? That's not the kind of life I wanted to lead. And frankly- Oh, but, but, not to cut you off for me, but that's a great day. Chili's dessert at 78 years old that you work for your entire life. Fair enough. What a great day. Onion is amazing. I'll (laughs) give you that. I haven't been in Chili's in a long time, but if you take me there, I'm going. All right. But let me tell you this, that kind of messaging, it actually offends me because it's lazy. It doesn't take into account that nobody wants to wake up and be told what not to do with their money. Who wants that? Instead, let's also take the other side of the equation. We wake up And after being told all these complicated words like Roth IRAs and annuities and compound interest and all this stuff, what do we do? We're like, ah, I'm good. I don't want to hear this. Turn over to my phone, open up Instagram, start scrolling, see one of my college friends in Bora Bora on a Wednesday and say, man, how does he do it? And so guess what? We have this puritanical society that tells us all the things we can't do with our money, but we are flooded with advertising telling us to spend more on everything. And guess which side wins? Of course, the side that gets us to spend more. So here we are, this pawn in this game being played around us. We're spending more. We're feeling guilty about it. And I just look at it and I say, this is insanity. It's like the emperor has no clothes. Why are you allowing yourself to be a pawn in this game? I would rather you come to me and you say, you know what, Ramit? I actually love buying a beautiful leather jacket. It's expensive. I don't even want to tell people how much it is, but I love it. And you know what I would say to you? Awesome. Let me show you how to buy that leather jacket. In fact, let me show you how to spend twice as much on an even nicer one. Oh, Ramit, I really love going on vacation and taking my kids. And in fact, I would love to spring for the extra fast pass or the extra guide to get us into the rides even faster. Good. Don't feel guilty. Let me show you how to do it. I remember 10 years ago, I actually told you this in Denver. You were talking to a lot of people in Denver at FinCon, but I walked up to you and I said that I bought my son your book and he absolutely devoured it. Just, awesome. just absolutely devoured it. I had devoured it before him, but he, I mean, you just spoke to my son and I think, I don't know if it's the testosterone in the book. I don't know if it's the, I don't, I just, I, I don't know if it's your naturally brash fun nature that it was, but did the response like the, my son had an immediate response to that. Mm-hmm. Did that type of response happen a lot? Did you see that type of response from people? Yeah. How old was your son at the time? He was 15. 
Amazing. So first of all, I'm so thankful that you read it and that you bought it for him. And I'm doubly thankful that he enjoyed it. It, it means the world to an author to be able to hear that the work that I spent over 15 years on somebody who I've never even met has read it and it's going to change their lives. I had a and, guest, I had a guest for me, not to cut you off, but I had a guest two weeks ago, Colleen Bordeaux, brilliant young woman, great mind. She mentioned you in her interview with me about how your book changed her marriage, that, wow. that the discussions that they had were different. Just the immediacy I keep hearing about that. I appreciate that. I mean, it never gets old. It never, you cannot compliment an author enough. And it, you know, it's not even about the money they bought my book. It's transcends that to me to know that a couple is having conversations using the work that I pioneered changes everything. Knowing that at the time, your 15 year old son is probably going to change his socioeconomic status because of this book, what's in these 200 or so pages. Like that's a game changer that will echo across generations of your family, his family, his kids, kids. So that's magic. And I think the reason that this book stands out that I will teach you to be rich has been around for 10 years and now is reaching more and more people. I think the reason is that number one, people crave someone telling them the truth. They really crave it. We crave it. I crave it. I craved when I was starting out, someone telling me, you know what? $3 lattes are not really going to end up adding up to much anyway. And by the way, even if you tried it, you're going to wake up in the morning, you're going to be miserable. You're going to do it for a week and then you're going to ricochet right back to the way you were. That's honest. That's the way people need to hear it. Instead, you've been busy over here worrying about $3 questions. You really need to be asking $30,000 questions like your son. Your son at the time, 10 years ago, was grappling with questions like, hey, how do I set up a Roth IRA? I'm too young. I'll set up a custodial one with my dad. How do I automate my savings, even $10 a month? He does that. 10 years later, look in his bank account. He's doing well. Now he's earned the right to ask $300,000 questions. What's my asset allocation? And when you start to ask these bigger questions, you can buy all the lattes you want. You can spring for the extra dessert. You can take your parents, as I did, and my wife and I did. We took them on our honeymoon, and all we told them was, show up at the airport. We will take care of the rest. Oh, that's awesome. That was our rich life, and that's what you can do with money. Money's not negative. It's not, it shouldn't be producing anxiety. It should actually be letting you live your rich life, whatever that is. Did you write that in the book that my son should take his parents on that huge vacation? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope he's listening. What's his name? <laughs> Nick. Nick, yes. listen to your dad. Take him on a vacation. <laughs> this guy deserves it. I'm, I'm not sure Nick does, but friends of his at Microsoft do. So <laughs> guys uh, and ladies, go talk to Nick and tell him that. You were the keynote speaker at my favorite conference called FinCon. Uh, longtime listeners of the show know that for three years I was the MC of FinCon. So I'm a little biased for me. However, you had a phenomenal talk and I want to play a little bit of the talk because when you talk about money, one of the biggest questions that we get over and over, but I'm sure you get from money nerds is how do we talk about money? Like with these people that we're trying to bring to the table and they just go, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. You brought a woman up to the stage named Amy. Amy is somebody who doesn't read blogs, doesn't read books. I'm fairly certain she had no idea who you were. And let's hear your first exchange here with Amy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a few questions about money. 
feel free to answer honestly. <laughs> right? There's no, there's no right or wrong answers, okay. but just tell us what comes to mind. That's okay. it. When I say 4%, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Math class in junior high? Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Not a trick question, just asking. <laughs> what do you think ballpark is the average annual return of the stock market over, say, the last 50 or 100 years? Do I really have to answer that? <laughs> just give us whatever number comes to mind. Four. Four comes four. to mind. The it's number actually, four comes to mind. It's actually pretty good. It's actually it's better than most people. Okay, good. Now, what if I told you that the average return was 7 to 8%? Does that mean anything to you? No. Okay. And, thank you. And do you care? Be honest. No! She doesn't care! Correct! That's the correct answer. You got all animated there, Rami. And you said she doesn't care, and that's the right answer. Why is that the right answer? I brought Amy up because the most effective way of teaching is to show, not tell. I could have gone in front of 2,000 people at FinCon, as I did, and I could have told them the annual average return of the stock market, seven to eight percent post-inflation, guys, you need to tell them. Or I could have said, it doesn't really matter. Meet them where they are. But when I brought Amy up on stage, somebody who didn't know who I was, didn't read any of the blogs, I loved her. I loved her because she showed the truth. And as I said, people crave the truth. I believe that most of the bloggers in that audience have probably not talked to an ordinary person and actually listened in years. And I wanted to show them what an ordinary person thinks. And you can tell by my questions that I was not looking down on her. I actually respect her honesty and courage to come up in front of that crowd. She said, 7% means nothing to me. And that is the correct answer because to the average person, if you go to them, with your fancy blog talking about lean fire and you hold them by the collar. Hey guys, 7%, don't you understand compound interest is so important. And then they always use this word in their blog posts. Seriously, seriously guys, you need to start investing now. Lean fire, Trinity. That doesn't mean anything. The average person does not have the foundation that you have of reading years of blog posts, of engaging in discussion, of understanding risk, reward, asset allocation, all that stuff. And so for the people in the room and for the people listening, if you wanna reach more people about money, maybe you have a blog or maybe you have friends who just complain about money. What I wanted to show with Amy is that you have to meet them where they are. And for Amy, in the rest of that clip, You know, I asked Amy some real simple questions. I said, Amy, when you think about money, what comes to mind? Well, 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 actually, I'm going to play that. Let's do it. I'm going to play that piece in just a second. But I also want to widen your argument a little bit here, Ramit, because I don't know how many bloggers we have that listen to this, but we do have a lot of money nerds that listen to this and they get frustrated because people don't want to talk about it as, quote, openly as they do. But so I love this idea of meeting people where they are instead of trying to shove these money discussions down their throat. Yeah. Okay, so I have to admit, (laughs) this is very ironic for me to be the guy talking about this because in my early 20s, I was the guy shoving it down everyone's throat. (laughs) And I was so frustrated. Let me give you, let me tell you how I Will Teach You Be Rich started. I learned about money. I got pretty good at it. And then my friends in college 
would be asking questions about check overdrafts and things like that. And I said to them, hey, like come to my free class and nobody would ever come. And it drove me insane. I started resorting to what many people who, who have gotten good at anything, CrossFit, veganism, personal finance, I started shoving it down their throat. You really need a Roth IRA. The tax advantages are so good. And I could just see people's eyes glaze over. Yeah. And over the last five, six, seven years, or actually 10 to 15, I learned that it's not their fault. It's my fault. I needed to take a hard look in the mirror and I needed to change the way that I communicate. I still believe I have something valuable that the world needs to hear. And if you're good at money and you're listening and you've got neighbors who are frustrated and always complaining, you might be able to help them. But what I learned was, number one, I can only help them so much. If they are ready, here's my book. I'll give you a free copy, a free chapter. My blog is 98% free, but like they have to be ready. And then the second thing is I need to meet them where they are. Well, and let's see. Let's take a look at where Amy was, because you found out where Amy was, and this is where I think it gets really fun. Okay, let me switch to a couple of different type of questions. When you think about money, your money, what words come to mind for you? Hmm, frustration? Hmm. Um, debt? Hmm. Uh, maybe some anxiety? Anxiety. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being so honest. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate that. Um, let's flip that now. If you could wave a magic wand, and you could do anything with your money, <laughs> what would you do? I would pay off all my debt. Great. How would that feel? That would feel wonderful. Uh -huh. And then what would you do? Probably just take a nap. Take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you pretty much just outlined the fire community. Well done. All right. I like that. You pretty much outlined the fire community. Did that take you by surprise? Not at all. Not in the slightest. I've talked to hundreds of thousands of people, ordinary people. I knew exactly what she would say, even though I'd never asked her the specific questions. And that's the level that I want all of us to get to. If we want to help people with money, it shouldn't be a surprise because we've listened. And what I love about Amy <laughs> was the truth in her answers. When she, my favorite answer that she gave me was anxiety and debt. That is true. So when somebody wakes up in the morning, when Amy wakes up or anybody like Amy, they're not thinking even about how to solve the problem. They're not thinking about automatic savings plans and sub savings accounts and comparing interest rates. They are just in the stage of, I have a problem and it doesn't feel good. I want to switch gears because of the fact that uh, some people listening don't know anything. We've talked about the book and how it's changed so many lives. We've talked about communicating your book and how it communicates, communicates in a very specific way and definitely has a point of view. Uh, so let's dive into just one topic from the book. Uh, some guy named Dave in Tennessee starts off with credit cards are bad and you should stay away from them. Chapter one of I Will Teach You to Be Rich is optimize your credit cards. Was that meant to be a polarizer, to, to be differentiation, or is it just simply because that's where we need to start? I wrote that very intentionally. I wrote it because it is the truth. The truth is, I live in a world of reality. I live in a world of what is, not a world of what should be hypothetically. And the reality is most people have credit cards. 
Most people don't understand how credit cards work. And most people don't realize that you can squeeze your credit card companies and get amazing benefits from it. So I want people in this book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, to stop playing defense. You understand how many people wake up on the 30th of the month, they go look at their email or they open up their bills and they have a bill and they just shrug. Oh, I guess I got charged that much. Oh, I guess they raised my interest rate. That's BS. In what other part of life do you just let a company or a person tell you, I'm about to screw you and you're going to take it and you're actually going to just keep doing business with me? No. This book is showing you how to empower yourself. And so what I show you how to do is stop playing defense, stop accepting it and go on offense. And what that means is first, get the right accounts. I tell you the exact credit cards, the exact checking and savings accounts, the exact investment accounts. Okay. Those are the same ones that I use. Then I tell you how to squeeze them. And with credit cards, a lot of people listening right now don't know. You can read the word for word script that I put in the book. You get your fees refunded. You get your late fees waived. You can even get your interest rates reduced. I have a lot of readers who did that and saved thousands of dollars in their debt repayments. And then the best thing of all is that if you are in debt, whether it's credit card debt or student loan debt, do you know that I ask people this question? I ask them, what is your debt payoff date? 95, first of all, I ask them, how much do you owe? 95% of people don't even know the answer to that. That was amazing. Ask, that was amazing to me, by the way, when I was a financial planner. My career as a financial planner, just, I have lots of debt. How much debt do you have? Ugh, I don't, they're afraid to look at it, I think, yeah. Ramit. We're all afraid to look at it. Perfect sense. Sure. Why, if something is going to be painful, as a human being, I'd rather just avoid the pain. That's classic. And I don't want to judge people for it. It's super normal. Both of us right now have something in our lives that's causing us pain and we're ignoring it. That's the human condition. So rather than deny it and rather than tell people, hey, you shouldn't use credit cards at all because it's bad. I'd rather acknowledge it and show you how to deal with it. The second question I ask him is, what is your debt payoff date? whether it's credit cards, mortgage, student loan, you should know the exact month and year that it will be paid off. And I show you how to build that plan. When you know the exact month and year, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And even better, there are ways, if you owe, let's just say $30,000, some people owe $300,000. The larger the balance gets, the larger that tiny changes can cut your amount owed by tens of thousands of dollars. So if you're in debt, the big thing in this chapter, beyond showing you the actual credit cards and the actual word-for-word -word scripts, is to show you that you can take control of your credit cards and any debt that you might have. Let's walk through a piece of that. I wanna go through, you've got your top six. By the way, even before we get to that, I love the fact that Bank of America knows you by name. They hate me, but guess what? I hate them too. That's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I love that. When I read that in the book, uh, uh, this edition, which is new, I I, I loved it because there's no bank we bitch about more here. Oh, uh, I love it. Oh my God. Okay. If, listen, people, if you, I have to say, I name names in this book. Why? Because I'm not trying to get a deal with some bank. I run my own business, okay? 2% of my material is premium courses. If you like me and you want to get a $25,000 raise or you want to learn how to start a business, come to my site. We've got products for that. What that means is I don't need to cozy up to anybody. And I name names for the good and the bad. I tell you the best banks and the best credit cards. And I also tell you the horrible ones. Yes. Like Bank of America. Bank of America. Wells Fargo. 
If you're using them, you're asking to be screwed. So get off them. Stop telling me, oh, I love my bank. My mom got it for me when I was 13 years old. Grow up. Let's get a real bank that's going to pay us for our money. And that's going to give us better advantages. Well, just to your point, Ramit, uh, falling in love with any financial institution, the financial institution is a tool. It's not the goal. So falling in love with them at all is something that I makes, you know, makes me just groan. Uh, you have six keys to using credit cards effectively. I want to make sure we give some people some really good value here. So let's peel off these if you don't mind for a second. Number one, step one, always pay off your credit cards regularly. Yeah, this is one that people kind of like nod their head. They go, yeah, yeah, I know. And then they don't do it. So if you pay off your credit cards regularly, what does that mean? It means that you should not be running debt. If you have debt because of past decisions, fine, make a plan. But if you're going to decide to buy an iPhone or whatever, you need to have the cash to pay for it. By the way, this improves your credit score, which a lot of people don't realize is worth way more than any amount of lattes over the long term. Because when you go to buy a house, your credit score will determine how much you pay for your loan. That brings up number two. If you've got fees on your cards, get those waived. Yeah. For the most part, you should not really be paying fees on your credit card. There are a lot of people who have suboptimal credit cards and they're paying annual fees. This is just money being taken out of your pocket and put in a multi-billion dollar bank's pocket. The only exception is if you spend enough to justify a premium rewards card, like some of the ones that I use because I have a higher spend and therefore it can be justified to spend two, three, four hundred dollars a year. Sure. Now I show you how to run the numbers, but in general, you shouldn't be paying a lot of fees to your financial institutions. This is a big one that surprised me way back in the day when I started making these calls, negotiate a lower APR. And this one alone or meet, I'm sure you've saved people a ton of money. Yeah, this, let's just say that you have $30,000 in credit card debt. Using this technique alone, which I actually have the actual words to use, that could save you thousands of dollars right there. And that's just in chapter one. So you can actually call your credit card and you have a lot of leverage. They don't want to lose you as a customer. So I show you lots of ways, including negotiating your APR, that you can get those fees brought down. Number four, keep your main cards for a long time and keep them active, but also keep them simple, you say. Yeah, I believe in simplicity. I have, you know, I have a busy life and I think a lot of people listening here do too. And one of the things that I talk about in this book is focus on the big wins. There are about five to 10 big wins in life. If you get those right, you don't need to worry about lattes. I have great cards. I keep them for a long time. I use them. I don't have one where I'm going to spend money on groceries here and I'm going to do car payments over here. No, two to three great cards. Use them. I have a cashback card. I have a travel card. I show you what cards you should get. And then move on with your life. Number five is get more credit only, only in capitals if you have no debt. Yeah, there's a thing you can do to raise your credit limits. And this actually affects your credit score in a positive way. Now, I think a lot of people are scared to do things like this because they, they think that they are puppets. That, ooh, if I get a higher credit limit, somehow my puppet master is going to make me spend more. It's like, take control of yourself. Okay, just because I have a high credit limit doesn't mean I'm going out and buying a $30,000 dinner. I know what I spend and I have confidence in myself to make the right decisions. So I show you how to go on offense 
not play defense. I love this. You know, I mean, uh, we always preach here, Ramit, think of yourself as a company. Does a company CFO go, no, I'm not going to get more credit because then I'll just blow it. The CFO is not going to do that. You you know, and just because I take a 30 year mortgage doesn't mean I have to pay it in 30 years. That's exactly right. I can pay it whenever I want. And then, and then the last one, I love this one. Use your credit card secret perks. Oh man, this is one of my favorites. So there are so many perks that people have no idea about. And I'm gonna give you an example right now that will blow your mind. I bought a MacBook laptop years ago, and the first week I had it, I accidentally took an entire mug of coffee and spilled it while sitting in a San Francisco coffee shop into the keyboard. You know, and you do the whole thing where you try to put it outside and dump it up, whatever. It didn't work. Guess what? My credit card company wrote me a check for over $1,000. And what people don't know is, you have perks if you buy something and it gets stolen, lost, or uh, in disrepair like-minded, you can get refunded for that. So that's just one of many perks. I list them out, and again, I want you to take everything that these companies have got, because that's what they're trying to do to you. I want you on offense, not defense. I wish you were passionate. It really drives me crazy that you don't get into this stuff at all. (laughs) You're, you're, You're listening to me saying like, Man, this guy really loves credit cards. This guy's pretty weird. Yes, I am. You have to be weird to be, first of all, you have to be weird to be listening to this podcast. Let's get real. Yeah, well, yes. And write a book on this. Yeah, you got to be a weirdo. But guess what? I love it. Both of our listeners, Ramit, I can assure you, are really weird people. <laughs> they really are. Ramit Sadie, thanks a ton for coming down to the basement and spending time with us talking about the new edition of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Congratulations, man. Thank you. It's my pleasure. What's up, trivia fans? I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to the best part of the show. I mean, let's just pause for a minute. Before I get to today's trivia, do you love Ramit as much as I did? I mean, it's always nice to hear from other people who think about money critically like I do. Ramit has his way to wealth that you just heard, but here's mine. Don't spend a dime. Pay off the El Camino that your ex-girlfriend loaned you. Yeah, check, did that. Free food from Joe's mom? Check. Sneaking into the basement after dark to sleep? Actually, let's keep that one on the DL. Know what I mean? But you would not believe the amount of money I've saved on heating. Which gets us to today's question. You may think that a few dollars here and there doesn't amount to much, but check out this fact. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the uh, the average American household shells out a little more than 57K each year for necessities of life and luxuries. $57,000, people! So let's get to it. What is the number one category people spend their cash on? I'll be back with your answer pronto. Got another one, OG. Had a text from a friend who comes to game night saying, hey, you still work with Away? I said, yes, I do. So is it using me when you get called by a friend about you getting them a code so they get money off their luggage? Is that being used or is that friendship? No, I think it's friendship. I'm just kidding. Away, for those of you who don't know what it is, they make affordable, high-quality suitcases that also charge your phone And by cutting out the middleman, Away is able to offer the perfect luggage made with high-quality materials at a much lower price. It did it again for me. Another trip, I found another sticker to put on my bag. Got one from Blowing Rock, North Carolina. You ever been to Blowing Rock? What a fantastic town. 
And I get that it's a little touristy town in the Appalachians, but holy moly, was was that fun. And then we drove down the Blue Ridge Parkway to Asheville. Anyway, my away bag always makes it easy and fun. It comes in a variety of colors and four sizes. There's the carry-on, the bigger carry-on. That's the one I have. My daughter has the carry-on, the medium or the large. Uh, friends of mine have the large. The carry-on bags feature two USB ports and a high-capacity battery, which allow you to charge multiple devices on the go, phone, tablet, laptop, so you don't have to worry about a dead phone or fight for that outlet at the airport. It's super durable, yet lightweight. My bag has been so beat up, and it weighs next to nothing. Made with premium impact-resistant German polycarbonate. Not sure what polycarbonate is, but it sounds... Sounds tough. A smooth ride in any direction. Four 360-degree spinner wheels that won't get stuck or break. I think it's the first uh, suitcase I've had where my wheels didn't break. Theft-proof, TSA-approved combination lock built in to keep your belongings safe. And even overpackers can fit everything they need. When we did the Canadian Rockies, man, was I, was I just stuffing stuff in that bag. It has a patent-pending interior compression system that tightly buckles in bulky items. I had to carry a coat in August because I was headed to the Rockies. comes with a lifetime warranty, by the way. If anything breaks, a way is going to fix or replace it for life. And the carry-on size are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while maximizing the amount you can pack. Free shipping within the continuous U.S., Europe, and Australia, and... How about this? A risk-free 100-day trial period. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. This is the moment you've been waiting for, the one my friend Rob texted me about. Away as a special offer just for listening to this show or for knowing me if you want to text me for this. For $20 off a suitcase, head to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20. Use promo code SB20. Bam. I just got you 20 bucks off. Plus, get free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 states. That's $20 off a suitcase by going to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20 and enter promo code SB20. Welcome back, Super Savers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I was thinking during the break about more ways I can teach you to be rich. One, never buy coffee. Find a close family friend and uh, drink their coffee. Two, your water bill's too high? Shower at your neighbor's house. Three, stay away from your house. If you're never there, your electricity bill plummets. I'm saving the rest of my tips for an upcoming book and a 47-part DVD series, but I know I probably I set the hook. You'll be buyers sooner or later on that premium set of DVDs. For now, let's swing back around to your trivia. Here was your question. Uh, what is the number one budget category that swallows gulp people's cash? The answer, it's housing, duh. Between repairs, utility bills, and other unforeseen problems, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that the average American household will spend $18,886 of their income on housing this year alone. My tips don't seem so dumb now, do they, huh? Let me know if you want to be one of my test DVD listeners before I release the final edition. And old Doug will give you the inside scoop. I promise. Stay fresh, cheese bags. See ya. That's a few Benjamins. 18,800 Benjamins. That's a lot. Yes. 
That mm. is wait, how many? Actually, it's eighteen hundred. <laughs> it's got to be your bowl. Yeah. Oops. Uh, math never my strong suit. Right there. What it's as if I did a financial podcast with you or something. I mean, crazy. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, OG, and tackle some of life's most important questions. You know, our friends down at Haven Life, they made insurance so simple because of the fact that they were thinking about what you value, your loved ones and your time, not filling out life insurance applications. With all that time, by the way, OG, that you'd save going through Haven Life and not filling out long, boring applications, what would you do with all that time? Probably put up uh, Halloween decorations. That's the best thing. The best. I got thing. those little like skulls that look like they're coming out of the ground. Kids love those. Those aren't real skulls. Well, <laughs> can't say. Well, that'll amp up the scary for the little kids. Make sure you get to keep all the Halloween candy if it's scary enough, right? That's right. It stays right at your house. Uh, head to stackybenjamins.com now and you'll see how simple it is. Uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now. By the way, you'll get a free quote. Application simple and online. You get an instant coverage decision. Their policies issued by Mass Mutual, more than 160 year old insurer OG. No waiting several weeks for a decision. It's all there right now. And today we are going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Mandy. Say hi, Mandy. Hello, people of the basement. I have a question about mortgages and avoiding them. For a little background, I am 35 years old and an engineer. I have previously been fired, financially independent, retired early, not fired. <laughs> and I decided to go back to work because I couldn't not work. I needed the mental stimulation. And what I'm wondering is if I should liquidate about half of my brokerage accounts. I have a good amount of money, several hundred thousand dollars in 401k Roth IRA. And what I'm considering doing is taking the money that is not in those accounts and using about half of it to buy a home. The reason that I'm considering it doing it this way is to avoid paying the, the fees that are associated with having a mortgage. There's just so much upfront that a lot of people roll into the cost of the mortgage. And I know that it's maybe like a 6% savings in one year, but that's kind of where, where my head is. Should I keep a hundred, $150,000 invested or should I take it out and put it into a home? Thank you. Great question, Mandy. Congratulations, by the way. This is these are the kind of decisions, OG. I like when somebody's done the hard work early on to get themselves into a position where they can make these types of decisions. These are a good time because I don't think I don't know that there's a horrible answer to this question. No, there's definitely not. I mean, what you're trying to decide is whether or not you want to have a long term payment or if you want to keep money in your investment account. I get that you'll save a little bit of money on the upfront costs and the fees associated with the mortgage. But frankly, there's probably lots of places out there that have really low uh, mortgage fee processing. So that, you know, that might be another option as well. The question is, is do you want to stuff the money that right now is in your brokerage account is completely liquid? Do you want to stuff it in the walls of your house? Because if you pay for your house in full, which I think is a good idea, 
And then all of a sudden you decide, well, actually I need a hundred grand for a new business or for whatever. Now you have to go and get the money out of your house. If you pay for it as a mortgage, yeah, you're going to pay those extra costs. The money is still liquid. It's still available. And in theory, depending on the interest rate that your mortgage is and the investment return that your brokerage account is producing or has a propensity to produce, then in theory, after the mortgage is paid off, you'll still have more money, which also is a good idea. So this is really a personal choice on debt versus no debt. And you can put it under the category of, you know, I don't want to pay fees or whatever, and that's fine. But really what we're trying to decide is whether or not the flexibility of having the cash in your investment account or set a different way is the temptation of having the cash in the brokerage account too good, too high. You know, maybe you're the person, I doubt it because, you know, it sounds like you're a good saver and investor, so you wouldn't do this to yourself. But there are some people out there who go, yeah, I got to get rid of this money (laughs) because I'm going to end up with a mortgage and no money in my brokerage account. I think what I would do in this situation just to see what happens is I would probably take the amount of money that I would put in the brokerage account or put on the house and put it in a separate investment account. I would send the mortgage payment from that investment account to the mortgage company, set it up automatically and, you know, run that plan out for the next 15 years or 10 years or whatever. And in theory, what should happen is you should still end up with more money in your investment account at the end of this transaction. Mm -hmm. You should have your house paid off and you should still have the money in the brokerage account because again, in theory, the market's going to produce a better return for you than the interest rate of the house. So uh, I think that's what I would probably do, knowing full well that if I got sick of that in year two or three, I would turn around a red check and be done with it. Here's the thing I might want to do, OG, which is run a model of what her long-term goals are going to cost and see if, because my gut says she's probably way ahead on on her long-term goals. I don't know exactly how much money she has. I don't know where her long-term goals are. But just the confidence with which she's speaking suggests to me that there is a possibility that she might not she might not need to save aggressively, which means that then I think that makes that conversation easier. So if she decides to take money away from her long-term goals, we know what the long-term cost of that would even be. Because sure, we can get a better interest rate doing something else. But once I've done that modeling and I know how important this money is, if it's super important or maybe a little important or not important at all then it's easier to move it away. Also, if there's in this situation too, if she's got money that's sitting in the wrong place now and she's wondering whether to deploy it to the right place or deploy it to a mortgage, I also might be more willing then to go, well, you know what? It's not in a great place for your long-term goals today. Let's put it in the house. But if it's in a great long-term spot, I'm more reticent uh, to touch it. You can think of it this perspective too. I have a mortgage on my house. If someone handed me a check for the mortgage balance of my house, would I invest the money presently or would I pay my house off? And I can tell you what I would do with it. I'd pay my house off. Yeah. If that's how you feel about it too, then maybe the best thing is just pay for it in cash and you can always go get a mortgage if you want. Later on. Yeah. I mean, assuming that you've got the credit and the income to support it, which you have the assets to support it, I would imagine. So, you know, this is less of a choice of like, well, I think I could save a few thousand bucks in fees and more of a debt feeling choice, I think, than than anything. And if you're like, nah, I really like being debt free and the flexibility that it provides of not having to 
you know, I don't have to work today because I don't have a mortgage payment. All I have to do is pay taxes. Then I think you'll make your own choice on that. I do too, because I think that the math, even with those fees that she's talking about, those first year closing costs, mortgage origination fees, whatever those might be, appraisal fee, yada, 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 just the all these junk fees. Even with those OG, over the cost of a 30-year loan or even a 15-year loan, those end up being a minimal change to the overall interest rate she needs to get to beat it. So I think that the I think the math, if she's comfortable with a mostly stock-based portfolio, the math over a 15-year time frame historically would almost always favor taking out the mortgage. So I'm with you. This isn't about the math and optimization with the math. If she's just trying to optimize, you go with the mortgage, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. But I'm with you. I don't think it's about that. I think it's way more of a feeling question and can you get away with it, which is why I model the goals first. Good stuff. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Mandy taking home the greatest money show on earth t-shirt and she's entered in the basement contest, which has been roaring the past few weeks. We put the Monday call, the Wednesday call and the Friday call up against each other and uh, all our friends in the basement vote on which person they think brought it the most. So nice job, Mandy. That's going to do it for today. Just a couple things. Congratulations, by the way, OG are in order. Thanks Thank to, you. To, I didn't think you knew, but every every single thanks to every single person who contributed to us reaching one thousand reviews of this podcast. Oh, about that, That's yes, pretty good. One thousand reviews of the podcast since we began. So, uh, thanks to everybody who's done that. If you haven't yet reviewed our show and you want to tell people what you're getting into with Stacking Benjamins, please, by all means, write us a review that mom can place on the refrigerator. Lastly, getting down here toward the end of the year, if you want better financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking on new clients. So to get on their calendar, to get the ball rolling, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today? Well, Joe, I'll tell you, first, they should take some advice from Ramit. It may not happen overnight, but if you keep taking the right steps, you too can achieve wealth in your lifetime. Second, take some advice from our headline segment. Gold? We all love being diversified, but make sure your money is in a spot that meets your goals. But the big lesson? Don't brag on air about how much free stuff you're getting at your neighbor's house. Apparently, I'll either need to hand over a crazy stack of Benjamins to Joe's mom or uh, start paying something she refers to as, hold on a minute, I got it. I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, yeah, rent. (laughs) What does that mean? Anyway, hey, OG, what is this rent thing she's talking about? Special thanks to Ramit Sethi. You can find Ramit's new book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, at his aptly named site, IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. Super straightforward, right? Oh, and you can also find it in our show notes at StackingBenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests 
in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens here stays here. If you're here for financial planning talk, we are done with that. OG and I go see a lot of movies though. And we like to, we like to talk about the movies that we see. I know OG's really into the movies that I see really wants to uh, make sure he makes a list of films that are really good. Only the ones though, where there's lots of heartfelt, uh, discussions and dialogue maybe dancing OG's really into those and tacos and tacos yeah good stuff unfortunately this movie has none of those i just saw this little known actor named brad pitt in a movie called ad astra this is a top secret psychological evaluation Please describe your current emotional state. I'm steady, calm, ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I will remain calm. I will remain focused. You look just like your dad there. He was the first man to the outer solar system. Was a pioneer, but there was much more to him than that. Please state your mission objective. I am attempting to stop an uncontrolled antimatter reaction. Ad Astra is a film set in the near future, OG, where Brad Pitt plays the part of an astronaut who is uh, sent into space on a very secret mission. And uh, the science fiction in here is really cool. The very first leg of his mission early on is a trip to the moon and he's kind of flying undercover. So he's flying to the moon commercial and he gets on a Virgin Galactic rocket and he, he buckles in and there's a scene where he's asking a flight attendant for something I don't remember. And she's telling him it's $110 for it. And he's giving her his credit card. And it just, it's, it's, it's pretty funny that the seats to the moon might be a little close together. You want first class or whatever it might be. When he gets to the moon, he continues on his, and his secret mission. 
and things things begin happening. This is a mission with this is a film rather with two different things going on. Number one is he's chasing the secret goal, but as you can hear from that sound clip, OG of the movie, you can hear the pacing how the pacing is very deliberate and incredibly slow because the second thing that's going on is it's also a study of him psychologically as he's looking over his life and evaluating who he is. So this is, while it's a science fiction movie, then there's definitely a lot of action. And by the way, ding, 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 things blow up, which generally gets OG's attention. This movie got uh, nearly a 90% Rotten Tomato score from critics and got less than 50% from people who watched it. And the reason is, is that this movie is so slow. Did you, did you ever see uh, First Man last year? Yes, over two flights. I think I, I pieced it together over two flights. Remember how slow-ass that movie was? Yes. And it was way too deliberate, and I found it incredibly annoying. I don't know. Did you find it annoying, or did you like it? I didn't particularly have an opinion about it one way or the other. In other words, you thought it was just there, just like a five? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the movie at all. This movie is as deliberate, but it seems to be a much more appropriate pace for what's going on. I've never seen Brad Pitt better. The thoughtfulness of his mission and what's happening combined with the actual action that happens on screen, and you're not sure what's going to happen next. The stakes are really high. And, uh, but at the same time, it's also this psychological movie. I thought this was fantastic. I can see why some people would hate this, would just absolutely hate it. For me, I'm still wondering if this is one of my favorite movies I've, I've ever, ever seen. And it would be a, a very pers- favorite ever favorite ever. Like I'm, I'm like thinking above Rocky four easy <laughs> or below, like kind of where in the, Rambo series is, would you, would you put it like first blood, like better than that? I mean, that's better than fast and furious four. Oof! whoa, whoa, whoa. <sighs> Slightly. Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> but not as good as fast and furious 16. Not as good. No, right. not as good as uh, Hobbs and whatever. I saw all that stuff on my Instagram. I followed, I followed the rock on Insta. He's so funny. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he's great. And the dude is jacked. So what I always think is funny is because I see so many like uh, Disney movies. All I think of is Maui from Moana. It's all you think of. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that guy looks just. Oh, yeah. It was oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. That's that. That's very funny. So a uh, huge thumb up for me. But I also don't know that it's a thumb up for you. You know what I mean by that? No, I don't. I mean, you just said it's the best movie in the history of movies. I said cinema. it's. I said to me, it's one of my favorites, and I'm not sure. What would it be an example? Like, like, give me another movie that it's like similar mm. in terms of its quality, slowness, or, or just like it's. It is. It is, know, it is. Cerebralness. How about this? It's very. It's. It's very much a grand, like big movie, like. Um, uh, but not as big as Lawrence of Arabia, as an example. Another one of my favorite movies. Think of a different movie that I might have seen. And Lawrence Arabia is also incredibly slow, but you haven't seen it. Okay. Lawrence Arabia is one of the best movies of all time. Um, uh, try a different one. Did you hear that, Armageddon. by the way? Did you hear that snark I just did there? Well, that's one of the best movies of all time. Of course you wouldn't have seen it. Of course. Yeah, no, I heard you. 
It was so bad. That was mean. Uh, no, what's a man? I do. I do not know of a. Um, you didn't see Moonlight. How about how about Gravity? Gravity was pretty slow. I thought Gravity was fast. Cinematography was good. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just making. Up. Just, just, <laughs> I'm just trying to like get another movie out of you. The movie Gravity was super fast. I felt like I was on this uh, this this train. This was much slower. This was visually visually not as appealing as Gravity. I felt like Gravity had much more of a of a visual bent to that. Where this this movie kept going into into Brad Pitt's psyche. Yeah, I don't know. Legends of the Fall. Oh God, no. Okay. Horrible. Okay, so just a smidge better. Oceans 11, 12, and 13. It is. So, so Legends of the Fall. Let's talk about that. It is probably nearly so as slow as Legends of the Fall. Like that movie was painfully slow. Uh, it's as slow as First Man. Like you saw First Man. I mean, it's, it's as slow, but it, but, but, but I feel like it's okay with this one. I didn't feel like in First Man, I felt like the director was trying very hard to make big points. This was a movie that was the pace it was because it's supposed to be that pace because we're in his head. Like with Ryan got interstellar didn't see interstellar. I want to see interstellar still. I do want to see. Did you like interstellar? Yes. Cause that movie got really mixed reviews too, but that's my kind of, it's my kind of, how about you watch interstellar like now or like maybe like in a half hour. I like you assigning homework. And then, and then you report back to me <laughs> where, where this movie is relative to that. And let's say just as another, oh. just as another point on the, on the chart, Armageddon, probably one of, why one don't of the you movies of all time? Why don't, no, I won't say that. Um, how about this? Let's talk about something else though, that I did that was really, really good. I listened to the audiobook on my way home from helping friends with an ultra marathon. By the way, congratulations to Malcolm and Christy, who each ran a hundred miles at the Yeti 100 down a beautiful rails to trails trail in uh, Western Virginia. Just beautiful area. Appalachia. Fantastic run. But on the way there and back from Michigan, I started and finished an autobiography by Robert Iger. Imagine that I would read Robert Iger, the CEO of Disney's autobiography. You're looking at me like you can't believe it. Can't. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But it is incredible. Uh, not just because people that know me know that I like that stuff, but I also think that, um, by the way, his book called the ride of a lifetime, and it goes through his entire career at ABC and then at Disney you know what I like about this book? You and I both both read a lot of uh, autobiographies and biographies about people, and sometimes they feel like, especially autobiographies by heads of big companies, read like it just is this lacquering of the truth, and there's really not that much truth in it, or it's trying to boost their image, or it's just a vehicle so they can go on a big speaking tour, make a bunch of money. As an example, I didn't like Mike Shashevsky's book at all. I went in really liking Shashevsky, the coach of Duke basketball. Right. And I read the book and I went, I don't like this guy at all. I like Bob Iger a lot more after reading the book. I just didn't know much about him. You know, I feel like Disney's made a lot of, a lot of big moves and it goes over purchasing Pixar, his relationship with Steve Jobs, 
um, very personal relationship. It talks about when the kid, remember the kid at the Grand Floridian that was on the mm-hmm. beach one night was pulled in by yeah. the alligator talks right. about that situation. It is really gets into his head on all these things. Talks about how he could have done better when they brought on star Wars, uh, could have done better with George Lucas. Like he really feels like he let George Lucas down, uh, not in what they did with the star Wars series, but that he didn't prepare George Lucas enough for what they were going to do it. And if you know anything about star Wars and George Lucas, you know, that as the star Wars trilogy this year, the new one comes to an end. Uh, Lucas has been uh, fairly vocal about how much he hates it. So ride of a lifetime. Cheryl doesn't really care about books by CEOs and listening to this with her in the car. At first I was listening to it when she was asleep I didn't realize that she'd woken up and I turned it off when she woke up and she goes, no, 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 play that. This is really good. And then it, it seems like whenever we stopped along the way for lunch or a bathroom break or whatever, we'd have this big conversation about some of these big issues, a lot of, you know, uh, moral dilemmas with people, a lot of, man, what would you've done in that situation? So right of a lifetime, fantastic book. That one, I think everybody would like Ad Astra. I don't know. I don't know. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, There are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.